0: Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of the Baptist Home, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brames. I'm here with Dr. Ben Mitchell. Uh, Dr. Mitchell, if you would just share a little bit about yourself. I know that you have recently retired from Union University, but how are you continuing to serve and, and what are your interests in serving at this time?
1: Well thank you Andy I appreciate appreciate the opportunity. I come from a, a pastoral ministry background originally. I was called to ministry back in the in the late 70s and pastored several churches both before and during seminary and after seminary. But I in, in the context of ministering in a local Baptist church I I was confronted with questions like should we take granny off the ventilator and I didn't know how to answer those questions. My ethics class at uh, Southwestern Seminary didn't really deal with those kinds of questions. I had a good idea we shouldn't kill Granny, but I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know beyond that how, how to even even think about that. And so, in the in the crucible of pastoral ministry, I got interested in in a more narrow field of of ethics called medical ethics or bioethics. And I took a course, uh, an orientation course, at the University of Tennessee. In Knoxville on my day off uh, at the church I was serving, and I got hooked because I saw that here's an area where biblical principles and um, Christian virtues and where decisions have to be made that affect people at the beginning of life and at the end of life and everywhere in between. And here's an area Christians can make a difference. And I wanted to I wanted to know more about it myself and and become more involved. So I've been teaching ethics with a concentration in medical ethics since the late 1990s. I taught at Southern Seminary in Louisville. I taught at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in the Chicago area for for a decade. And I'm just finishing, or just have finished, 11 years at uh, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, The fun thing about Union has been, in addition to being on a campus that's full of undergraduates, which is always fun, Hmm. Uh, is that because Union has a school of nursing that offers up to the Doctor of Nursing practice degree? Uh, we have a, a pharmacy school that offers the PharmD, uh, and uh, of course, the School of Theology and Missions, where I was housed in my discipline. I have, I've had the opportunity to kind of roam across the campus and teach in lots of different areas. About three weeks ago, even though I was retired, I was invited to come back to a biology class and lecture in a biology class on on research ethics. I had the opportunity to lecture in a nursing class on uh, ethical leadership and nursing. And so it's been a really uh, wonderful experience for me. I also do some consulting work. I, I do teaching for other institutions. Now I taught a, a week-long doctoral seminar on bioethics at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, though we did it by Zoom. So I still have my hands in teaching. Uh, I'm writing uh, and serve on different boards and, and agencies in, in the capacity of, of ethics. Also have the wonderful opportunity to serve on my hospital ethics committee, uh, local hospital committee, and so being able to serve in those areas is uh, deeply satisfying.
0: Okay, so hands in a lot of different ways. Uh, it may, maybe maybe stepping down from teaching full-time has actually opened up some <laughs> other opportunities, or at least more time for you at this point. Right, so. it has. It has. <laughs> well, uh, most people will be familiar with the idea of ethics, uh, obviously, but they may not realize that ethics is its own field of study and how many different parts there are. You mentioned bioethics just a moment ago being uh, very close to your own heart. Could you give a little bit of a primer to the audience as to what it means to study ethics or why it's sure. important to study ethics? And, and particularly in this, in this world today, when you started in the 70s, we were moving towards uh, a postmodern, but in this relativist thinking that we have today, how does ethics uh, really play an important role for Christians today?
1: Well, of course, ethics is really, for um, for many people, ethics is just applied philosophy. So, uh, ethics is a branch of philosophy. You study philosophy, and then you look at the application of philosophical principles to the realm of, or the study of what's right, what's wrong, uh, what's good, what's bad, what ought to be the case, and what ought not be the case what we're obligated to do and what we're not obligated to do for christians i think the best way to think about ethics is just applied theology or applied biblical studies we we take uh what we learn in scripture and that informs us about how we ought to live and what we ought to think and do and be in in the world And so one can approach ethics either philosophically, usually, um, or theologically uh, or biblically. And then uh, ethics, because it's an applied discipline, has many different branches. I have taught a business ethics course, and those are that's not a, a contradiction in terms of. <laughs> um, uh, the military ethics is another is another area in fact, I just recently supervised a dissertation on the use of drone technology in the military and okay. What what are the ethics of using mechanical devices, technological devices like drones and military? Nursing ethics, um, pharmacy ethics, uh, environmental ethics is a huge area. The ethics of food and economic ethics, how we understand right and wrong economically, all of those are just branches of the larger the larger discussion of uh, what's right and what's wrong, and how do we know and how do we decide? I think one of the most important things to think about when one thinks about ethics is that we make ethical decisions every day. We we decide to do things every day that have implications about what we understand right to be and wrong to be, and what our values are. Most of the time, because they're uncontroversial, we don't think much about them. But mm-hmm. but. Have a, a huge impact. I'll give you a quick example. So uh, we think of medical ethics sometimes as just about dilemmas. What do we do when we have a pregnancy that's not unplanned for? What do we do when when we have too few ventilators and we have a lot of COVID nineteen patients? How do we decide who gets the ventilators? What do we do with with um, uh, transplantation of organs? All, all those dilemmas. But the very, the, the very encounter that a physician or a, a nurse has with a patient is, is um, uh, suffused or, or immersed in ethical, ethical uh, concerns and ethical issues. If I go to a doctor and I have a dis-ease or if I'm feeling unwell and they put me in a gown that has no back, there's automatically a power. Differential. They have much more knowledge about my potentially about my condition than I have. I don't have the medical training. They have they have uh, the wisdom and art and science of medicine. And so now we're in a situation that has lots of ethical implications. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we we don't think about it that way sometimes until there's a, until there's a problem or until there's a, a crisis. But but our whole lives are. Our, uh, we live our lives in ways that inhabit ideas, notions about of right and wrong, good and bad. It just is the nature of the human condition.
0: Very much so. And that, that condition is changing. Uh, and again, in, in more modern times with the relevant, uh, relativistic type of idea, could you speak a little bit about how how we should really steady our base, you know, firm up our base yeah. in our understanding, you know, with, with that idea of, of relativism in our day.
1: Yeah, let me let me talk a little bit about relativism as a way of getting into that. Um, uh, since at least the 1960s, maybe late 1950s, we describe our world in at least in in the West and, and in America, especially as as being uh, relativistic. And and that, that um, means one thing to one person and maybe sure it's not meaningful to others. So, so the way, the way I put it is let's just, let's sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about what I think is right and what you think is right or what I think is wrong and what you think is wrong. And eventually the conversation in, in many cases is going to, is going to end up with our disagreeing Say, well, you know, who's to say what's right or wrong mm. Or um, uh, well, you know what you think is right and wrong is not what I think is right and wrong, and and so the relativist world is the world in which those notions of right and wrong are not universal; they are they are relativistic, or they are relative to the person and the context. And it turns out that while that idea has a lot of um, Currency or a lot of a lot of popularity in our culture it turns out not to be really true and here's what I mean so in in certain Middle Eastern cultures, if you show the bottom of your foot to someone it's a terrible offense mm-hmm. foot is is dirty uh, you know the sandals are porous and and so to show the bottom of your foot is an insult well in American culture, most most of the time we don't have any problem showing our feet, walking barefoot, showing the bottom of our foot. If I if I put the bottom of my foot in front of you, you would you might say, you know, you really should do a little better job of hygiene, but <laughs> you know, you're not gonna be particularly offended by that. But even though we differ in in Middle Eastern cultures, and in Western culture, even though we differ on whether or not it's appropriate to show the bottom of your foot, what we do agree on is the importance of respect and the importance of honoring people to whom honor is due. Or I, when I lived in the Chicago area, I lived in the the north suburbs where my university uh, and divinity school were, um, very, very posh area. I mean, in fact, this is one of the communities in which... Uh, uh, Home Alone was filmed. Uh, okay, uh, kind of McMansions in the Chicago area, uh, and in downtown Chicago there was a really really tough tough neighborhood called Cabrini Green. It's cleaned up a little bit now, but but when I moved to Chicago, Cabrini Green was a police a place even the Chicago Police Department wouldn't go in at night. Wow! Um, so I, I was thinking about um, uh, the two cultures, the the lawyer culture of the North Shore of Chicago and the gang culture in Cabrini Green uh, do they not do they not have similar notions of right and wrong it turns out that they do um, if you violate the the right and wrong uh, ideas of the bankers in Kenilworth one of the, the, the uh, suburbs um, they'll take you to, they'll take you to court and and they're going to seek to get Justice, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're a gang member in Cabrini Green, and the opposing gang kills one of your gang members, you're going to try to um, you're going to try to exercise justice for your gang against their gang. So it turns out that even though the ideas of of what justice looks like may be very different, these cultures share a common. Interest in and commitment to justice and uh, fairness, so relativism relativism it, it turns out is not as illuminating or helpful an idea as I think lots of lots of folks um, think it, turn, it turns out that there are some human universal values that, that we all seem to share and and one way I know that we share them is because if if um, in, in the culture if you don't share some of those values we'll put you in jail we'll, or we will uh, uh put you in a treatment because um you now are you now have have uh, violated the the shared norms of that of that culture um so relativism is, isn't uh, perhaps as helpful as as we thought but but it's it's a good way to um it's a good way to stop a conversation over a cup of coffee.
0: Well, <laughs> you
1: know, what's good for you may not be good for me. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not so sure of that. Yes, um, we do have different notions of, of of beauty, but I've never known a single person to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon on a dawn morning. Uh, when the sunlight pierces the sky and, and the, the sunlight um, comes down the strata of rocks in the Grand Canyon, I've never known a single person to look at that and say, yuck, yeah. there is something that resonates with the human soul when we see beauty. The same is true. There's something that resonates with the human soul when we see um, good. When we see somebody do something that is truly honorable and good, we say, yes, that is good and right. And, and I, th- I think we need to look deeper um, at our notions of right and wrong, which is the area of ethics. We, we ought to look deeper rather than being as superficial as relativism uh, makes us uh, seem to be.
0: I think that's a great explanation. Uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're well-versed in this, and, and I think that will help clarify some ideas for some of our audience. Uh, I want to shift gears now because this podcast is about uh, those who are aging primarily, and, and you have written a book. One of your books uh, is called Ethics and Moral Reasoning, and I want to center the remaining questions in or around that book. In one portion of that book, uh, you discuss the Ten Commandments, as a backdrop uh, to moral reasoning and a commandment such as honor your father and mother. Now, when, when we teach that in church, what we generally think is children, you need to honor your, your father and your mother, which is true, but, uh, we can still honor our father and our mother much later in life. And in fact, that's uh, oftentimes when it becomes more challenging. So how would you apply a commandment like that to, uh, who is a father or a mother who is not able to take care of themselves? What would the ethics say, moral reasoning say, uh, about how a a middle-aged child, for instance, like myself, uh, should take care of an aging parent that was unable to take care of themselves?
1: That's such a great question, Andy, and it's it's one that I'm I'm actually going through myself. My my father is 87 years old and uh, has. All kinds of health uh, problems right now, and even though he's still able to live somewhat independently, uh, he has he has lost heat, and I'm I try to try to to help him, and and this has been sort of my what I've been experimenting with, if you will. I've been trying to learn what does it mean at 65 to try to honor my 87 year old father. You, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the the text "Honor your father and mother" is found first in, in the Ten Commandments. The commandments are principles. They are they are uh, rules, but I like I like principle better because rule makes us feel like we're rule followers. But they are principles to guide our behavior. And and the other the other dimension of of ethics is virtues or character traits. So you have, the you have the Ten Commandments, for instance, and then then you have the virtues. Um, Jesus said in the in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. These are not laws to be followed; they are character traits to inhabit. And what we have in Scripture are both principles and virtues. We have both commandments and we have Pauline injunctions for instance we also have the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience etc and um, all of that all of that comes uh, uh, or is brought to bear on uh, those those family bonds that we have uh, kinship bonds that we have say in marriage or in parenting uh, or in the case that you're describing in in being a child uh, who now has a, a parent who has needs that uh, that uh, go beyond what he's able to to, to do um, on his own, and there's a there's a part of you know there's a part of that um, where you just say, well, neighbor love should take care of that. Love your neighbors yourself. Well, yes, but as a son, do I have? An even greater obligation to my father or to my mother than I do as a neighbor and i would I would argue that we, we do I would argue that our duty or our, our obligation and our privilege uh, to care for our family members those those with whom we share these family or kinship bonds um, is even stronger than the duty that we have to love um, our neighbor partly because Of the investment that those parents have made in us, sure. You know, my 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 dad took care of me. My mom took care of me uh, when I was a snotty-nosed little boy, and they did things for me that um, I'm sure I don't even remember now. That I would I would turn my nose up at today. (laughs) Any parent knows that. And now that um, my dad is losing uh, some of his short-term memory. And now that uh, he's not physically able to do the kinds of things that he wants to do, uh, now under the restrictions of a of, uh, global pandemic, um, his relationships with others have been, have been diminished. He was going to a, uh, a veteran's home and having coffee with the guys at the veteran's home. That got shut down uh, in the you know, middle of March. All the other relationships he had in his life have been taken away under the restrictions of of the pandemic. So, so as a son, um, surely um, I have a greater obligation to uh, try to care for my dad and, and to honor him, to respect him. And that's hard for me. Don't misunderstand what I, what I said. Um, I don't mean that I have a hard time honoring my dad. What I have a hard time doing is not um, treating him like a child, uh, not doing things for him or to him uh, without his permission or without his uh, uh, or giving or giving his his, his consent. To, to truly honor him as um, the man that he is, the person that he is under God, and um, not to, um, not to, to uh, treat him as if he were a child. And that's a challenge. I'm learning, and, and, and I would love to hear from folks who've done this uh, before and done it more often than I will do it, but I'm learning to walk that tightrope sometimes between um, uh, his being his own person under God, again, um, and my simply being um, available to him if he needs me, uh, rather than my just saying, Dad, I'll do this for you. I'll take, I'll take, let me take that. I'll, 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 I'll take it and do that for you. There's a part of me that wants to do that. And, and yet I, I can't, I can't violate his, um, his I. I can't, I can't disrespect him by just stripping him of all of his, um, his own decisions and his own, his own abilities, you know. Um, it's it's been, it's been a real challenge. But, it, but I think it's an important one. And, you know, I'm a boomer. And um, there are lots more of us uh, who are going to have to both learn what it means to honor our fathers and mothers and then also learn what it means to have children uh, who care for us. And um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something we've got, we have to do. And that's why I'm so excited about your podcast, for instance. I mean, Um, with a growing aging population, uh, with us living longer, uh, not always living more healthily, but living longer. Mm -hmm. The issues are, are um, alive and they are urgent in in many cases. So uh, thank you for doing this.
0: Thank you for joining us today. In the next episode, I will continue our conversation with Dr. Ben Mitchell, as we discuss the question of ethics and how that relates to aging. Biblical Perspectives on Aging is brought to you by The Baptist Home, a ministry committed to setting a Christ-like standard of care for the aging. For more information, go to thebaptisthome.org. That's all one word, thebaptisthome.org. Together, we can be a voice for the aging. Thank you for joining us for this interview today. The Baptist Home has provided Christ-like care to the aging since 1913. To learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by The Baptist Home, go to www.thebaptisthome.org. Again, www.thebaptisthome.org. You will find links to previous podcasts, a growing number of church resources, and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams, asking you to be a voice for the agent.